1: Well, hey everybody, and welcome to episode 361 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Today's episode is brought to you by Remodel Health. Uh, you can visit RemodelHealth.com forward slash Carrie to learn how you can get a free benefits analysis and try their free savings estimate calculator and by ProMedia Fire, digital professional help for all your media needs at promediafire.com forward slash Carrie. And you get 10% off plans for life. Well, my guest today is Adrian Gostick. We're going to talk about work uh, because you are all trying to motivate somebody. Some of you are trying to motivate yourself. Others, you've got staff like I do. Or you've got a whole team of volunteers you're trying to motivate. And Adrian Gostick has spent a career figuring out how to do that. He is the number one New York Times, Wall Street Journal, USA Today best-selling author and co-author of The Best Team Wins, The Carrot Principle, and All In. His books are published in more than 50 countries. He's the co-founder of the global training firm The Culture Works, which advises the leadership team of Fortune 500 companies on organizational culture and employee engagement. He, along with his co-author Chester Elton, have appeared on the Today Show, CNBC, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and were called the Apostles of Appreciation by uh, one of my favorite papers, The Globe and Mail, here in Canada. And uh, I love this conversation. And man, I'll tell you, you know the stats and we'll talk about them. Like so many people are disengaged at work. They just are. And people hate their jobs. So how do you reverse that? And we talk about why you can't express gratitude enough, among other things, and uh, why this is more important, even in the economy that we are in. So... I'm super excited to have Adrian on the show. I want to welcome all of you who are first-time listeners. There must be a ton of you because I don't know what's going on, but this summer, this podcast has just exploded. We are hitting all-time highs in listenership. We had uh, pretty much 400,000 downloads in July. Like That never happens. Podcast listening in the summer does what church attendance does. It drops. Not this year. We hit all-time highs and uh, just want to thank you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for letting people know yeah, thank you for just getting the word out there. And if you appreciate this episode, make sure you share it on social. Uh, Tag me, uh, at Carrie Newhoff on Instagram. Uh, I'm C Newhoff on Twitter and on Facebook. And uh, we'll try to uh, share what you share as well. But hey, uh, just want to say welcome to all of our new listeners. And um, also, if you haven't subscribed yet, do that. I find that, uh, well, when I go to listen to a podcast, it's really the ones I subscribe to that keep coming up again and again. So, Uh, Make sure you check out Remodel Health. I'm so excited that people who listen to this show, not just like people, but people who listen to this show in the last 18 months have saved $1.5 million on their healthcare premiums. Yeah, you guys, okay? That's like nobody else, just from this show, $1.5 million saved. Uh, These are extremely challenging times for churches. You probably don't know what's ahead for your budget next year, and it can feel very overwhelming. Well, what if there is someone who could help you lighten the load for you and your employees remodel health is the health benefits software and consulting service that helps you as an employer save money and care for your team better so what happens is when you switch from traditional group insurance to individual plans for each staff member uh, they will help you experience number one significant savings as in 1.5 million dollars collectively in less than two years and you can put that right back into your mission. And often employees get better plans as a result. So it's kind of a win-win. So uh, now's the time to change. If you're interested, here's what you can do. You can get a free analysis and also a check out a savings calculator by going to remodelhealth.com forward slash carry to learn more. And... Welcome to the digital era. I mean, it is here to stay. And even if you're reopening your church in person, guess what, you're never going back to how it was before online. So if you're a leader of a church between about 500 people in attendance and 5,000 members, and you're facing these challenges, here's probably what it feels like. Your digital church team is at its max. They are like, whoo, we are tapped out. Your social media team can't keep up with the need for content, let alone engagement. Your creative team is overwhelmed, and you're cautious about spending money on new staff. And you're like, well, now what? Pro Media Fire can help. You can hire an entire creative team of professionals for less than the cost of a staff hire. And the best part is the plans are month to month. So there's like no obligation. So curious? Go to ProMediaFire.com forward slash carry. Get 10% off Plans for Life. We love helping you out as listeners. And I appreciate our partners who are giving you guys exclusive discounts And so thanks to Remodel Health and ProMedia Fire for helping out with that. For ProMedia Fire, it's ProMediaFire.com forward slash carry. So, well, I am excited to bring you uh, all of this and more. At the end in the What I'm Thinking About segment, we're going to talk about signs your organization is toxic. Everyone thinks someone else's organization is toxic. Nobody really thinks it's theirs. What are some 10 like real subtle signs that maybe it's you? Well, We'll do all that and more. But in the meantime, here is my conversation with Adrian Gostick. Adrian, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thanks, Kerry. Great to be here.
1: Hey, you have been leading in the business space for a couple of decades. You got several New York Times bestselling books, but these are like not usual times uh, when you look at what's happening with mass unemployment, the pandemic, economic fragility. And every CEO I know is almost rethinking everything right now, like going back to basics. So, I'd love to start sort of at a macro level, uh, you know, without without going into a lot of detail. What is still sort of the same in business and what is changing?
0: Yeah, and that's an interesting question to start with because, you know, what's the same is we still have customers to serve, we still have products to deliver, and yet everybody's a lot more, of course, hypersensitive. You know, we used to be, you know, two months ago, now used to could, you know, two months ago, it seems so long ago. We were talking about risk elimination, right? We had to be as safe as possible. Now people are starting to kind of re We're having to bring people back into the workplace. And I'm hearing a lot of senior leaders talk about risk mitigation. So how do we, we can't eliminate, you know, any sort of risk, but how do we mitigate it? How do we make people feel safe and help them know the plan? of how you can come work with us and feel safe. How can our customers know that they're going to feel safe when they come and and interact with us? And so even in two months, we've changed the way we're, we're doing business.
1: I'm asking almost every leader this question. And again, these things always air after we record them. But from where we're sitting right now in early May, as we record this, do you see this fundamentally as an interruption or a disruption? Do you think this is the kind of disruptive change that is going to reset a lot of defaults in the future
0: yeah because at first i think we were thinking this is an interruption we've seen things like this before sars didn't last too long or you know of course it hit toronto yeah, really. i led
1: through that it wasn't close yeah. to this
0: no no and so we felt like we had been through this before it's an interruption now we're realizing This is a disruption. Even if we do all go back to work tomorrow, uh, it's going to change the way we work. And there's a few things, you know, from what I I study is leadership and culture, employee engagement, ideas like that. And so what it's changing for a lot of leaders is that they're realizing we may have people who work remote from now on. We may never come back into a corporate office situation or it may take years. And so this is going to create a lot of interesting um, dynamics because, it's going to create a lot of people feeling isolated and and maybe alone. Um, younger employees, especially, and an interesting dichotomy, what we find with them is they they actually don't really value autonomy. They want to be working much more connected with other people. And yet some of the baby boomers, well, that's their top motivator is autonomy. And so we see this really interesting, you know chasm between, what we think will work with our younger people and won't. And so we feel like, oh, they're technologically sound. They're going to love working remotely in their in their apartments. No. In fact, we're finding very quickly, they're the ones who are out breaking curfew. They're the ones who need the social connection.
1: Isn't that interesting? Because, I, I mean, you may be in a very different context than I am, but in my experience, it was the younger leaders who were always asking for flex, saying, can I work from a <laughs> coffee shop? Can I work from home and a lot of like young parents as well going, do you mind if I come in early on Tuesday? Cause I want to leave at three to catch the soccer game. So, uh, I'd love any comments you have on yeah. that.
0: So what we've done, we've, we created a, um, we working with a team of PhDs. We created what we call the motivators assessment. So it spits hmm. out what you're motivated by in life and at work, especially it's a hundred questions built by a team of psychometricians and And what we find, so we've got some good data. We're probably about 30,000 of those, 80,000 are people in their 20s because they're really curious about what motivates them. And so you're exactly right. Flex time, that idea of being with my tribe, having more independence is actually really, really a a very strong driver. And yet autonomy, working alone, not having that connection is extremely low motivator. Of 23 human motivators, that fell 22nd for our 20-somethings. And so it's this interesting dynamic. Now, I'm painting with a broad brush yeah, an entire yeah. generation of people, which of course we can. Everybody's unique, but we do spot some interesting trends there. So flex time. I had a CEO recently tell me this last holiday season, he says, I was trying to get my team to work on this big project. He says, I promised him a big bonus at the end. Uh, he says, my boomers, and my Gen Xers said, all right, I'll do it, boss. He says, to I'm a person. My millennials said, no. I got plans with my family, my tribe, Um, the extra money wasn't worth just what you said about that personal time was so important to me. And yet also I'm hearing as we do a lot of qualitative interviewing as well with, with, with younger employees. And what they tell me is, you know, like one woman said to me recently, she says autonomy. She says, that's terrifying. Why would I want to work alone? So I want to come and go, but I also want that connection with my boss when I need it.
1: Okay. So that might be, I might have a different understanding of autonomy in my head because that is really fascinating to me. And you're right. That whole idea of freedom and time away from work and the ability to call my own shots. It's really interesting. Uh, I don't know. I, I imagine we're somewhat similar in age and stage, but you know, it used to be the debate when I started in leadership was, do we get one extra day off between Christmas and new year it's like, can we wiggle that out on the calendar? Then it became two or three. And now it's like, seriously, you're not making me take that as vacation time and that I get like 10 days off, don't I? It's funny how that conversation has changed so much just in a few decades.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I was talking to one of the heads of uh, Skanska, a big uh, construction company, one of the biggest in the world. And and he was saying, he says, when I started, he says, just what you're saying, Kerry, is that he says we would work six days a week, 12 hours a day. That's what showed we wanted to climb the corporate ladder. And he says, and if we expect our younger employees to to work with us like that, we're going to be alone. And he says, now he says, you got to understand, we're a construction company. He says, it's not like we're we're designing, you know, women's apparel or or iPods or something. He says something cool and creative. He says, no, we go make things. Uh, with other construction guys. He says, but we've had to figure out flex time. We've had to figure out job sharing. We've had to figure out all these things in a new way of being that he says was not the way we grew up in our company, but we've had to evolve.
1: Do you think this crisis is going to accelerate that? I mean, these are early days, but I just love your take on it. I love the future and I'm trying to figure it out.
0: (laughs) Well, there's two two schools of thought, of course, right? One is that we have very short memories. And so if we do get through this in a few months, a year from now, we'll all go, remember that? Wasn't that weird? Mm. You know, it's like that uh, Y2K thing. Remember when we all yeah, yeah, freaked yeah. out about that <laughs> and, and nothing happened? Um, so now if this does continue on, and I do think this is actually more of a trend setter, It's more of a disruptor that will change the way we work. And I think we will have a lot more people who realize maybe I don't need to climb on a plane. And it's hmm. going to change the travel industry. Maybe we can work much more effectively. Look how we're all working now on Skype and Zoom and, and Teams and all these. I, I did four podcasts one day on four different separate technological platforms. Yeah. And so, you know, and everyone worked and everybody was connected. And so I'm watching that we're learning how to use these technologies. And it's not as frightening for some generations anymore. It's not as, you know, we realize how to make these work. Like, you know, a lot of our companies we're working with say, no, Carrie, you can't be off today. I don't care if you haven't combed your hair, you haven't showered, you have to have your camera on. We all do it. Mm -hmm. I don't care if your hair's in rollers, you know? (laughs) And, And so they're finding the new ways of working together electronically. And so in a way it's forced us to embrace these technologies that are out there and work in a way that we're finding, eh, actually this does work.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate that. It's a, it's a fun place to start. And I'm asking everyone <laughs> I know in leadership uh, what they think this is and where it's going. So you got a brand new book. Uh, for those of you who are watching on YouTube, it's called Leading with Gratitude. You wrote it with your uh, long-term partner, Chester Elton. And um, it's, it's I love the way you phrased it. I'm an Enneagram 8, so I appreciate directness. You say in the book that lack of gratitude is an act of stupidity. Can you talk about that? That's awesome.
0: <laughs> well, and it is. It's so funny. We were sitting around the, the the genesis of the book. We were working with our good friend, Marshall Goldsmith. I don't know if you know Marshall. He wrote the book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, and many right. others, and and has been an executive coach to the superstars for for years. And we were sitting at his feet. You know, we do some executive coaching ourselves, but certainly not at his level. And, and, and we were all sort of bemoaning, as we sat around, the idea that, you know, isn't it funny that every leader we work with? Who we get asked to come in to work with. And they're typically really smart people. They're very driven. And they typically are, are not, you know, they're, they're not on their way out. Typically, we get brought in because they say, we want to get this person to the next level, but there's just something missing. So they're good leaders who just aren't great yet. And we, we, we sort of all said, the one thing many of these people are missing, in fact, most, is that gratitude. Hmm. That they, they in, in, in some cases, it's insecurity. They feel like oh, everything has to be invented here. Within me, and especially if I want to get ahead, I can't show anybody else is you know creating value around me. Um, other cases, they're just simply so busy they don't take the time. Other times, they just don't know how to do it, or they think other people are motivated in the same ways they are. You know, maybe they're very money driven, maybe they're very recognition driven. Well, maybe everybody should you know everybody then is is the right. are those my dri-
1: motivators your motivator yeah. exactly.
0: And so what we realized was that. All these great leaders are out there who, you know, most of us just aren't very good at this. We, we kind of suck at uh, grat- gratitude, recognition, whatever you want to call it. And that was the genesis of the book because we said, look, lots have been written on this, but why aren't people doing it? If we all know this is good for us and good for organizations to be grateful, to be to be positive, to look for value around us, then why are we all so bad at it? You know, and you come back to the religious aspect of this. Every major religion, um, whether Christianity, Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, Islam, every major religion has this as a tenant. Yeah. So we know it's important, right, to be grateful. You know, Christ with the lepers, only one comes back. So we are told this is important. And yet... For thousands of years, we've been told it's important, and it just—it's—it it boggles the mind why we—why we just can't seem to grasp it.
1: So, Adrian, how is it an act of stupidity? Why? Because I listen—I—I I, I resonated with so much of what you wrote because gratitude and expressing gratitude has been uh, a challenge for me. Uh, you know, I come from a Dutch background and the attitude there in that immigrant culture as well. I told you to do the job, you go do it and just be thankful you have a job, right? It, that's sort of the, the unspoken mindset. So why, and I've learned, and by the way, we'll get into your um, your objections to gratitude, which I thought were brilliant. Um, but why is it an act of stupidity for leaders who are like, hey, you should be thankful to have a job? Why is that a dumb attitude?
0: And especially in these times, right? Which mm-hmm. like you should just be lucky we're keeping you employed, Gary. I mean, yeah. I mean look what's happening around here. And and I come from an English background too. I lived in England till I was ten. My good old English parents. And you know, I'd would go to you know, my, they'd come to my soccer game, and I'd score three goals, and they'd say, yeah, that's, that's all right. You played <laughs> forward. You should have scored, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and so, so exactly right. Now, what we find is this is an act of stupidity because there are very few things that we can do in business that we we know are an accelerator. Hmm. We know that our people are desperate for a little recognition, a little a little pat on the back, and yet I was in I was working with a, a big tech company. I'll keep their name confidential uh-huh. and. As as I was talking through some of this stuff, and it was amazing how much this sparked. And I had a guy in the front who kind of raised his hand. He says, you know, he says, I had a boss when I first started here at uh, this company. And he says, uh, he didn't tell me I was doing a good job very often. But when he did, you knew he meant it. Yeah. And I said, that's interesting. Let's open that up. And very quickly, one of the other women managers, she said, you know, Rod, she says, if you act like that now, your programmers aren't going to stay with you says that that may have meant, been very powerful to you says but it's we're in a new world with new people and so the act of stupidity is that look we all know this is important it doesn't take a lot of time what we found were the best managers add gratitude they spend about an hour a week on this so in a typical 50 hour a week for a typical manager what's that two percent of your time yeah. and yet they yes. had higher levels of engagement employee retention and especially in the worst of times, people need to know, look, we're making progress. Look what happened today. So it's mm. not just, you know, I'm going to recognize you now and then. No, I'm going to be grateful every day for those little steps we make forward. And that's what that's what's vital. And that's why it is, you know, something that is missing from so many leaders' uh, toolkits. And, you know, it's just silly that we just don't put this into practice.
1: You commissioned a study of, I think it was about 200,000 people, workers, uh, that had some fascinating results. What did you learn from that study when it comes to gratitude?
0: We did this study with Willis Towers Watson, and it was it was fascinating. They opened up their, their research database to us. And what we found were that organizations with higher levels of gratitude, what we looked for were organizations where employees felt that their above and beyond efforts toward excellence were recognized. So in other words, that uh, when I do something excellent, I am recognized for that on a regular basis. And so that was sort of the definer, the question that we correlated. We found that those employees that had higher levels of feeling like they were recognized when they went above and beyond, they were much more engaged. And then when we started clumping those together into teams, Teams where there was a higher level of engagement had, or sorry, of of recognition of gratitude had much higher levels of customer satisfaction, much lower levels of employee turnover, and also a couple of interesting ideas. Accountability was actually higher, which was an interesting finding
1: because- Yeah, you would think almost the opposite, right?
0: Right. Because you think of- you know, either I'm a I'm a touchy feely kind of recognizing gratitude manager, or I'm this tough demanding manager. Uh, we interviewed a lot of CEOs for leading with gratitude. One of them was Ken Chenault, um, who was the CEO of American Express, ran an MX for 16 years. We interviewed him actually the week he retired, which was fascinating. And um, one of the things he said, one of the only um, African Americans to run a fi- Fortune 500 company. So you know, driven, smart. And did amazing things, led, led Amex through the last recession. And one of the things he told us, he says, we have gratitude grinches in our organizations, he said. <laughs> and he says, they get confused. They think being tough and demanding means that they they you know they they can't be grateful. He says, that's absolutely the wrong idea. He says, you've got to be grateful for every step forward because he says, you're like taking a journey. And he says, we don't just end for the end of the journey. We are looking for little signposts along the way that show we're on the right path. He says, that's what gratitude does. It points us in the right direction. If we're getting off course, we can use positivity to remind us to, you know, to move back to the line where we should be going.
1: I want to talk about some of the objections, but you touched on it briefly yeah, everything has changed. I mean, 30 million Americans unemployed as we record this, millions of Canadians, people like we haven't seen anything like this in our lifetime and, and it even outpaces the Great Depression if my sources are accurate in terms of unemployment. So what would you say to leaders who are like, well, you know, that's nice. You wrote this book before this whole thing blew up. People really should be grateful uh, to have a job and so I'm not sure this applies to me. I'd, I'd love you to just drive a truck through that and then we're going to get into some of the other more normal <laughs> objections? Because you're right, this is a mindset that has been around, and it's somewhat generational and somewhat cultural. So I'm just curious.
0: One of the things when we wrote Leading with Gratitude is we actually started the book in the last recession, Uh, Mm. 2008 and 2009. We started with a guy named Gary Ridge, who's the CEO of a company called WD-40, right? Everybody's got a can of WD-40. You probably didn't even know it was its own company, but it is, and wildly successful. Uh, Gary's been the CEO maybe about 12 years or so so he he wasn't too long in the job after after 28 2008 hits and uh, as he's traveling his system he says people kept asking me Gary are you okay and he says I, I was thinking do I look sick or is there something? and he realized after a while he says they weren't asking are you okay Gary they were asking are we okay they mm-hmm. said they wanted reassurance and he says so I went back to my executive team gathered them all together and he says he says I think we've been doing this wrong he says Let's not waste a good crisis. He says, Mm. everywhere people are going to go, they're going to hear about horror and fear. And he says, when they come to work with us, he says, let's let them feel secure, safe. Um, He says, let's use this time. They actually upped their investment in employee development during this time. They did more training than ever because people are a little slower in a a crisis sometimes Mm -hmm. or they want to feel like they have some control over something so they could at least learn and grow. And they started being more grateful too. And He says, but we made sure we trained all of our managers. The gratitude had to be tied to one of our seven core values. And so we t- and trained them on what that meant. Uh, another thing I love that he did, he says, we, we had a rule of no lying, no faking, and no hiding conversations. He says, people are just gonna know everything. And he says, so we communicated with them every single day. And so there were some strategies they put in place. And by 2010, they had the highest earnings in their company's history. And they came out of that recession, which I think is amazing. And if it wasn't a case study, you might not believe it in our book, but they had a 99% employee engagement rate, which I have never seen. Which anywhere. is
1: insane. I mean, if you know anything insane. about, yeah, yeah, that's not <laughs> human even human. Here.
0: Yeah, you can't get 99 out of 100 or, you know, 99 out of 100 people agree on anything, let alone, you know, feeling engaged within the organization.
1: Oh, that's so encouraging. So yeah, and that was like a really down economy. And I think you're right. There is the human element of people just need assurance. I think most of the leaders I've talked to, including me and my own team, uh, I've just spent more personal time with people, letting them know what they're doing is making a difference. So uh, I love how you spend a good chunk of the book getting through the objections. And uh, let's start with one that I think you addressed at some point, but this idea, because you know, there was a previous generation, if you got a trophy you actually did something right. Like, good, you scored three goals. I'm glad we paid for this. So, you know, good for you. (laughs) And, and, you know, there'd be some executives, some senior leaders who would think, well, that's just a millennial thing. I mean, you get trophies and participation awards for everything. And if I just, if I'm too generous with my praise, it's not, Mm -hmm. it's, it's going to devalue everything. And then we end up in this place where everybody just gets applause for showing up. What would you say to that?
0: Yeah and if you know, if you and if you hold your face that way it's going to stay that way right your mom told yeah, you that, yeah, that yeah. Which, was, which didn't prove uh, you know apparently that's not so,
1: accurate yeah
0: Yeah exactly there are a lot of myths in in the world and one of them is that yeah you can get you know too much of a good thing right and actually it's not completely a myth because we have studied this actually and we're not the only ones sociologists psychologists have studied this phenomenon raising kids or or in a workplace what we find actually that the the ratio of one-to-one, one positive to negative, creates a negative workplace,
1: hmm. you know? And you
0: think about it in your own personal life, if you're a significant other, you know, if you're if you're married to a lovely lady, she comes down the stairs and she says, how do I look in this dress? And you say, oh, honey, you look beautiful. It really sparkles your eyes. Now it does make you look fat. Um, that's a one-to-one, <laughs> right?
1: The eyes thing coaching. just got lost somewhere in there. I don't know what happened exactly. to the eyes thing.
0: Yeah, so it's a one-to-one. You're coaching, but you're also positive. Um, it probably would take several billion positives to make up for that, right? Yeah. And so, and so what we realize in our personal lives is, well, of course, we can't do that. And if you've ever had a kid in a, you know, in a, you know, playing softball or soccer or whatever it is, you realize. I realized very quickly as my son was playing soccer growing up is that I could not criticize too much. I could give him one thing to work on after mm-hmm. a game. Well, you know, you need to probably work on that. But boy, that was great when you got down in the dirt. You, you know, that ball hit you in there. That's just what I've been telling you. And you got to praise, praise, praise. One thing I could tell each game you know, you want to play out a little bit when you're in gold. So, likewise, in our workplaces, we found that the, the best ratio is about five positives to each constructive criticism, each coaching moment. So, that's not Pollyanna. It's not just, mm-hmm. hey, you, everybody's great, 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 and you're never correcting. No. There are times where you do correct, but we typically take criticism better from somebody who builds us up versus somebody who tears us down all day long and now and then says, you know good job. My, my niece is a, she's a nurse and um, she, she was telling us about uh, her first job out of college. she worked at a uh, you know one hospital and she said uh, I said, "How is it?" She goes, I hate being a nurse." She says, "It's just miserable." And so I said, tell me, tell me about your work. And so she says all day long, she just got belittled and told off and she couldn't do anything right by her nursing supervisor. And she says at the end of the day, she says, my nursing supervisor, she leaves and she says the, the, the screen doors or you know, the opening doors would open, she says, and she could no longer see her reflection. Um, and she says, as she would walk out, this nurse would turn back and say, now, sorry, I was so hard on everybody, but good job, everybody. And that was the only praise all day. She says, So the doors would open, she would walk out, and she said, On the nursing station, we would all give her the finger. And she <laughs> said, because she couldn't see us anymore, the reflection. And the door would close. And I said, Corey, I said, You've got to find a new place to work. Yeah. And she ended up going to work for the children's hospital here in, in town. And she she ended up becoming a uh, a surgery nurse. She says, It's way more complicated. She said, I don't know what I'm doing half the time. And she said, but they make me feel so important. Mm. And all of a sudden, she just began to love nursing. And now she's in her 40s and has four kids at home. And she still works part time as a nurse because she just loves it so much. Went from almost leaving the profession to loving it all from one manager who lifted and lifted. And of course, they corrected her, but they also made her feel so valued.
1: That kind of uh, underscores the the wisdom or the understanding that people don't quit jobs, they quit bosses and cultures, right? Very similar kind of understanding.
0: And that's hard for us to accept as as leaders, is that we have that much impact on the work experience. But, you know, I think Gallup says the manager controls about 70% of of the engagement that I will give.
1: Yeah, and that's so, so yeah. good now i I want to run through one or two yep. other objections. Uh, I love how you say they'll think it's bogus, so what if I don't really they're gonna they're gonna just think I'm just making this up to make them feel good? How do you handle that kind of feeling that managers' leaders would have?
0: You know one of the things that's interesting is yeah, because we do hear that from managers. oh, you know, if I just start recognizing everybody, yeah, they're going to think I'm bogus, they're gonna think this is coming a couple of things first off, it has to come from a sincere place, so. Mm. Don't recognize things that you don't value. Right. You, know, you know, if it's something that you value, it's going to me- feel much more sincere. The second part of it is, look, your people really do want you to start doing this. You know, there's a reason Gordon Ramsay has created this empire. Everything he touches is about renovation, is about mm. rebirth, right? And so every time he goes in, he's trying to make somebody he's working with better than they were before. And we're rooting for them. Right? We want to see that terrible restaurant owner kind of get a clue and start treating his people well. Well, our people, you know, what's going to happen at first is when you do this, they're going to go, yeah, what do you want, Carrie? Yeah. You know, you've never done this before. Yeah, it's out of character. And so you're right. At first, it's going to be a little awkward for everyone. And then the second time, the third time, they're going to start loosening up. And probably what's going to happen is they're going to start telling their family and friends, you know, he finally said, good job. You know, it's about time. And right. so it does take a little time. There's no doubt. But what's the alternative? Never changing. You know, that's that, that's not, you know, that's not a, a positive course.
1: Is there another objection or two that you hear all the time to the idea of leading with gratitude that you want to share?
0: One that's interesting, you know, I don't have enough time is probably the number one concern. Yeah. I just don't have time, especially in this crisis to be looking out, patting people on the back. Um, what's interesting is the great leaders that we work with, those ones that are just outperforming their other peers right now, they're checking in with their people probably every couple of days, even though many other people are remote. They're saying, you know, how you doing, Carrie today? They're not just saying, how are you doing? They're saying, how are you doing today? Because they know today is probably different than when I talked to you two days ago. And the second thing that they're asking that I'm noticing is, how can I help you? Hmm. Um, I just talked to, um, was it two days ago, I think there was a vice president of U.S. Foods, big U.S. Foods, um, huge distributor of uh, uh, of food, and uh, he'd been furloughed, which is a new word we're finding, right, in the yeah. lexicon of business now. And he said, uh, but he says, I understand why they had to do it, the company, and my boss calls me at least once a week. And the first question he asks is, what can I do for you? And he says, which is really interesting. He says, I'm I've been basically laid off for a while. I want to go back. And he says, I think I will. But because my boss is connecting with me, I care a lot more about the company. I care a lot more about when I come back, I feel like I'm gonna be connected and and be able to hit the ground running. And there actually have been a couple of things I've been able he's been able to do for me while I've been gone. So it's been really powerful to me. He says, and it's meant a lot.
1: Yeah, you know, and I'm glad you raised that example, because I would think the natural instinct as a leader, if you furloughed someone or laid someone off, is to say, I'll talk to you in three months. Like, we had the awkward conversation, and now I'll see you again in July if I'm hiring, right? But that uh, that is that is very—that's how I would want to be treated. I mean, that is how I'd want it to happen. And you're right, that probably does engender loyalty at a deep And you level. have
0: to ask— and you have to ask permission, because if I yeah. furloughed somebody, um, you may say, no, I don't want anything to do with you. And that's fine. I, I have to. But if you give me permission to connect with you and and as you say, that's what I would want. That's what you would want. And if yeah. I decide to move on as a furloughed employee, fair, so be it. But I'm going to make sure you still feel like part of the team if you will allow me to.
1: Well, I know we have a few time constraints today and that kind of thing. And you've got eight practices in the book for leading with gratitude. Could you walk us through? Because uh, you've been extremely practical, but I know that at the end of the day, for leaders who need to make a pivot here, uh, they got to figure out how to do it. So, what are some of the best practices from the top leaders that you see leading with gratitude?
0: You're you're right. We've we've talked a lot about um, the myths. That's probably only about the first third of the book. It's really fun, and as you mentioned, interesting. Yeah, and, yeah, I appreciate you saying that. But you're right, the rest, the two-thirds of the book is those practical ideas. We interviewed dozens and dozens of senior leaders, uh, most of them CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, about how they kind of got a clue and they started doing this, recognizing and rewarding and, and being grateful. One of the things with gratitude is that it's about seeing first and then expressing. So it's really opening our eyes up to be more empathetic, to solicit better ideas so one of the one of the actually the first step under seeing value being created around you is how you better solicit input and, and act on those ideas. And I don't think I've ever met a leader who doesn't think they're good at this. They all go, no, no I'm great. We have roundtables now and then. My people love to give me ideas. Um, I just uh, heard a really terrific idea just yesterday. I was interviewing a, a woman who works for Texas Roadhouse in down the U.S., 600 restaurants, 70,000 employees. Uh, one of the few restaurants, probably in the world, that hasn't laid people off, they're they're still going, and they're doing it because their people are so passionate. So one of their leaders in Ohio, just she runs one store, has 180 people who work for her, and she says on Saturdays before we open up, they they only open up for dinner. So she says about one o'clock or so, she says I do uh, tacos with Tanya. And her name, and of course, Tanya. And uh, she says, so I'd lay out all these tacos and people come in. If they want to talk about something, they feel like could make the uh, the company better. And she says, they, sometimes they'll come in they'll, about the, you know, so-and-so machine being broken or people aren't doing this or that. And we work through issues. She says, sometimes it takes an hour, sometimes it takes two. And she says, so I'm giving them free food and they're just talking. She says, it took a couple of times for them to start trusting me because it's not going to happen immediately, right? And so... She says, but she says when when this pandemic hit, she says we moved everything to 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 go. So she said the last few we've been talking, people come in, they talk about this isn't working on the to go and And she says, We figured out different kind of stations and different ways to do things. And we're able now, she says, to replicate sixty percent of our pre pandemic revenue, which is unheard of. And just take and she said, "Before we never did more than six thousand dollars a week in takeout. We're now doing sixty thousand dollars, a ten x over the last two months, by getting my people involved and getting them excited. So it's terrific." She said, "You know, when the bartender and the and the busboys know how much we're making every week and what we can do to improve things, she says, then you've got an engaged group."
1: Yeah. Isn't that interesting? I know a lot of leaders who are giving real-time feedback right now in the midst of uncertainty, like we turned a profit last month or we met our yeah, expenses yeah. or uh, way more real-time feedback. That's probably a best practice in the midst of uncertainty, isn't it?
0: It really is. That idea of you know soliciting and acting on input. I mean, we could tell so many other stories of great leaders who have done this, and but really do it and find ways. Because a lot of times I'll hear things like, yeah, but if I try to listen to my employees, they'll they'll have ideas that I can't use, or right. they'll get upset. If Kerry gives me an idea and I don't use it, he's just going to be upset.
1: So why bother trying?
0: How do you respond and, to that,
1: Adrian? Like, what would you say?
0: Well, there's first off, yes, there's going to be a certain segment of the human population that will get upset if their ideas aren't used. Yeah. But there are ways to 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 solicit input. First off, to make sure that you're listening, to you bring me an idea, I'm taking notes and we're talking about it. And my first response isn't no. You know, we tried that before back in 89, Carrie, and it didn't work, so no. You know, it's like the the idea is, as they say in uh, improv, it's yes and, right? So, yeah, that's a great idea. And what what if we did this, this, and this? And you build from it, right? The other the other way that you do this is by explaining to people you know after some deliberation, some thinking about it, why that you know maybe this won't work right now, but it's a great idea. and you've got to create a way that people will be, feel safe to speak up next time. Hmm. And so you may say look, we've had some great debate, we've been arguing about this. I know this group's very passionate about going this way, this group very passionate about this way. An intelligent person could go either way. I just have to make a call right now. I feel like we have to go this direction but i really appreciate all the thoughts and feedback. let me tell you why i think in this way. and he says, yeah, some people may but they're going to willing be willing to speak up again if you if you first off set some ground rules for debate and for for ideas to be thrown out in a very safe manner. you know, that no nobody gets attacked for having an idea. you know, the idea might be picked yeah. apart a little bit but never the person. and then we're going to be respectful and find ways to use pieces of everybody's idea over time.
1: That's a great idea. What, what are uh, some other practical tips on how to lead with gratitude?
0: One of the one of the favorites, I think, is this idea of, of uh, there's a little of what Ken Chanel from American Express told us, of, of looking for small wins. Mm. You know, sometimes we get in this idea of, especially in this pandemic, I don't want to recognize people unless we get through this. Right. Then, hey, if we hit the end of the year, I'll tell everybody how great you did. You know, nobody's going to stick around. Or they, mentally, they might not stick around for that. As Ken Chanel says, we're looking for those little small wins. Um, back when I was in college, I don't know if you had to do this. You have to take a little phys ed uh, credit. Uh, so I, I looked and I went through them all. Weightlifting looked like a lot of work and running. and, and But there was bowling. I went, that sounds good.
1: Yeah, yeah, that sounds so, awesome. I'll get a credit. I am in. yeah.
0: Exactly. So I went and did the half credit bowling uh, thing to get my phys ed done. And uh, what was interesting is, you know, first day we're all there. We're all chucking balls down at the the pins and having a good old time. And the professor, if you can call him a professor, gathers us together. And he says, guys, and he says, no, no, no. He says, you're not aiming for the pins. You're aiming for those arrows about 10, 15 feet you know, in front of the foul line. He says, if you get your arrow right, chances are the ball is going to go where it needs to go. Go back and try this again. So we did, and we all immediately got better. Oh. We started aiming for the, mm. the arrows about, you know, a quarter of the way down the, and the same light, same way in business. You know, the, that idea of gratitude for every step forward allows me to know I'm on the right path. You know, you asked earlier about people who need too much recognition. Yeah, What we found in our studies is actually people who need a lot of gratitude are actually very, they have very high self-esteem And they know that when they're rewarded, it's pointing them in the right direction. They're being reinforced for doing the things that the manager and the organization value. Mm. And that's why the rewarding the small wins, looking for small wins versus those big ones is a very powerful way of moving your organization forward.
1: So for the leader who's like, hey, this is really, really helpful. You read my mail. Um, My team is probably going to send me this episode if I don't implement it myself. Where can they start this week? They're heading into the office tomorrow and they're like, okay, I got I to gotta do an about face here or I've got to turn over a new leaf or something. What, what are, What's a first step or two for them?
0: I think some of the, some of the ways to do this to begin, first off is, is to, you know, when you think of, I'm coming back to Gordon Ramsay again, when he's renovating a kitchen and he brings everybody out and you commit that you're going to make a change. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, with saying, guys, the last two months, I have been so focused on head down, serving customers, getting this company through this thing, that I have forgotten to be a little human here. Hmm. And first off, I want to express to the entire team, you know, my appreciation. But what we find with gratitude, it's really not this broad brush everybody's doing a great job. That really d- doesn't mean a lot to me. Yeah. You know, back when you're in high school, if, uh, you know, a girl had said, I like all the boys in our grade, you know, would that have done any for you? No, you want to
1: know, you know it doesn't your work. Selection. I want, yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> you want to know your unique. And that's where you begin saying, great, if you do a daily huddle, like in a restaurant, or if you do a weekly staff meeting, or it's a Zoom call, you're calling people out and you're you're recognizing, let me tell you about Joshua, what he did last week. It was pretty amazing, you know, a customer, you know, or the system went down and Sue jumped on that. You know, you're being very specific. You are finding ways to help people know that they're feeling appreciated in a public form. So find ways within your your typical routine to add this. But the other thing you need to do is when you admit, you know, I kind of had my head down. I need your help because Mm. peer to peer gratitude is very important as well. And to ask people to start calling each other out. One of my favorite stories up in Toronto, Bill Manning is now the new CEO of Toronto FC, your oh, yeah. major league soccer team. And so when Bill came in, he's been a friend of ours for years and we've studied his leadership style. And uh, what I love that he does when he does a staff meeting, because a major league soccer team, when you go and you know watch the the team play on a Saturday night, there's hundreds and hundreds of them play. Well, they're all they're all part timers. There's only about 60 or 70 full-time employees who work for a, a major league sports team. And so when Bill has his weekly staff meetings with all of them, he'll come in. And what I love is one of the first thing he does is he asks for some recognition. Uh, but it's not he's not picking people out himself. He's calling on uh, – he'll pick on three or four people. He has a Nordstrom's gift card or a Bay mm-hmm. gift card. And he'll say, John, who do you want to recognize today? And the the deal is it has to be somebody who typically doesn't get a lot of recognition – and it has to be somebody in another department. And he says, so all of a sudden, all the walls are breaking down around my my, my team. And he says, so John says, well, I'd love to recognize Aaron in accounting. Every time I sell a season ticket package, Aaron calls the customer. He's so kind, he's so excited about for them. Uh, I just would love to recognize Mm. him. So sales guys recognizing somebody in accounting and everybody comes into the meeting, he says, thinking, okay, who am I gonna recognize in another team? And also, who have I helped? Gee, I wonder if you know Sue will recognize me for helping her out. He says it just created this team of event. Well, you know, you know the rest of the story, right? With uh, yeah,
1: John, yeah, they uh, they kind of won KFC. recently, yeah,
0: yeah. That's so, great. So a great example of what they've done. Also, you know, started selling, you know, like crazy, as well as you know, winning of course the cup in what was it, 2017. So. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, that's, that's awesome. Well, Adrian, this has been so helpful. Tell us anything else you want to share before we wrap up. Well,
0: just before we wrap up, we do have one uh, big section at the end of the book, which is about taking it home. And it's, it's so funny, especially as we're all crammed in together now, maybe with our significant others, our, our loved ones that, uh, that and some you know, i know that not everybody has that you know some feeling very alone because maybe they're single but those who are who are with their families but whoever you are whatever your experience is it's still possible to take this idea to those people who maybe should mean the most in our lives our our loved ones our friends our families mm-hmm. so we spend quite a bit of time with that Um uh, one last you know, little story um dave kirpin who's a um, told us this. He's a head of a marketing firm in New York. You know, fast-moving kind of guy. And what his family have always tried to do is uh, have dinner together. Well, during this pandemic, uh, they've they've been forced to have every meal together. Yeah, yeah. So they've implemented this. Uh, they've implemented this this fun new this um, kind of uh, idea that they go around the table and there's three questions you have to ask for the kids or the parents. Uh, first off, what was your best moment of the day? And it can be tough, you know, when you're all stuck in, but they typically you can think of a good moment in the day. Second, who are you grateful for who's not at the table? You know, maybe somebody reached out with a text or you connected on a Zoom and you liked a joke that somebody said in one of their, their, their classes. And the third question is, who are you grateful for at the table who hasn't been thanked yet? And he says, first off, when we started doing this, he says, they thought it was the stupidest thing in my kids that had ever been invented. He says, within a few weeks, they were excited. They were running to the table. They were kind of, "Okay, I got my three. I got my three, Dad." Oh. Um, and he says, "It's become part of who we are. Just that idea of am I being grateful?" You know, so lots of ideas and leading with gratitude that we have, and therefore taking it home as well and creating a more grateful life.
1: Oh, that's that's so good. And you know what? I feel like in many ways in this conversation, some of my leadership life is flash before my eyes because gratitude at home, gratitude with the team, getting the team to recognize each other and even finding those moments because sometimes you do have someone who's particularly challenging and yet if they do something right that whole idea of catching him doing something right rather than continual correction is so powerful. Well, tell us where people can find you and obviously you can get the book everywhere it's sold. It's called Leading with Gratitude. Eight Leadership Practices for Extraordinary Business Results. So,
0: Well, thanks, Kerry. It's been a delight to be on with you. I'm at adriangostick.com, or as you mentioned, our book is wherever, Fine Books Are Sold. Fine Books Are uh, Sold, yeah. (laughs) That's what they say, right? (laughs)
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's been a joy to connect with you, and thanks for helping so many leaders today. I really appreciate it, Adrian. Thank you, Kerry. Well, there's some really fun, surprising things in that interview, wasn't there? And you probably want some more. So if you do, we have show notes. And uh, man, lots of you are now accessing the show notes. Sometimes I'm like, hey guys, we have show notes, you know, because we do this all for you. We've got quotes, learnings, insights, if you want to look at it for team study. And we do transcripts for free. Sometimes when I listen to a podcast, I'll pay a service to transcribe it because I want notes. Yeah, you don't have to. We got that done for you. So you can head on over to Carrie slash episode 361 you'll find everything there uh, in the what I'm t- uh, in the what I'm thinking about segment coming up in a few minutes I'm going to talk about science your organization may not be optimal might even be a little bit toxic and in the next episode we are going to hear from Danielle Strickland. So Danielle and I recorded this long before coronavirus, and uh, we are still catching up because we pivoted this spring to bring you, uh, well, some new episodes in light of how the world had changed. But this is a powerful conversation. Here's an excerpt. I think phenomenal leaders use their power to empower other people. So if the dominant question you're asking is, how can I protect myself you're asking the wrong question. It's a terrible mm. leadership question. How can I protect myself? <laughs> it's bad. It's going to lead to terrible things. Uh, what I would say is, how can I empower people? Right. Ask a different question. How do I help people? How do I help other people? And how do I help people who don't have as much power as me? That's the ultimate, you know, that's mm. the ultimate leadership question. That's the ultimate Jesus leadership question. Is how do I use my power to empower other people? And particularly people who don't have power. Okay, so that's next time on the show. Also coming up, we've got uh, Lecrae. That was a fascinating interview. Lisa Turkers, John Tyson, Nick Walenda from the Flying Walenda Brothers. Gordon McDonald is back for a massive, epic episode. You are going to love, I think, Uh, I did anyway, John Gordon and so many more. So I'm so excited for that, guys. And thank you for all of your encouragement and support. This podcast uh, only keeps reaching more leaders because you care and you're sharing it. So uh, if this episode helped you, please reach out on social. Now it's time for What I'm Thinking About. And this is brought to you by Pro Media Fire and also by Remodel Health. So you want to check out their offers, head on over to promediafire.com forward slash carry, get 10% off any plan for life and remodelhealth.com forward slash carry. And that is C-A-R-E-Y in each account. You can get uh, free benefits analysis and also their free savings estimator calculator. And uh, I just love how our listeners are saving because of what our partners are doing for you. So what about your organization? You know, globally, 15% of employees actually are engaged at work. Like they show up going, good, I get to work, which means 85% are not, and in America, hey, a lot better. Thirty percent of employees are engaged, which also means seventy percent of the people who show up to your office or you know remotely are not. So, what do you do about that? Um, I think a lot of the times, those of us who are bosses are kind of blind to it, and so I want to share ten signs that your organization is toxic. And what's interesting is, you know, these signs aren't just like, you know. Oh, yeah, I, I scream at people and yell at people or fire people or harass people. No, 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 no. These are much more subtle. And this these are the things that I think can create disengagement. And there are also things I show you how to reverse in my brand new course called Lead a Better Team. It's on right now at introductory pricing. If you haven't checked it out, you can go to leadabetterteam.com to learn more. But here's sign number one, you talk about people, not to them. I've been in a bunch of offices and this happens, you know, somebody knocks on your door and goes, I'm so frustrated with Kevin right now and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, wait a minute, have you talked to Kevin about that? And in so many offices, people talk about people, not to them. And that is like very dysfunctional and easy enough to fix. But that's sign number one. Number two, you have to play politics to get anything done. There are so many political offices. And what is a sign that like your office is political? And I don't mean like partisan politics. I just mean office politics. Okay, here's here's a few signs. Decisions rarely get made the way they're supposed to be made. Okay, It's just you're supposed to make it in the meeting, but it wasn't made in the meeting. It was undone in the meeting after the meeting. And that's another sign. Most decisions happen outside of meetings or any agreed-upon process. You can't get a yes without offering something in return. Okay, I'll do this for you if you, or you just have to lobby, lobby, lobby to be heard. So playing politics to get anything done, that's a sign. How about this, number three? And I think we really have to pay attention to that for those of us who lead in the church what gets said publicly is different from what's happening privately. That sometimes we say, hey, we're growing, but we're not. Or we say, well, this person left of their own free will, but they really didn't. Or, um, you know, hey, we're saying that we're reaching our community, but we're not. We're saying that giving is up, but we're not. Or, Or, you know, even little things. If there's a gap between your public talk and your private walk, that's an issue. And I have the good fortune of being the part of several healthy organizations. And sometimes people pull me aside and they ask in hushed tones, So Carrie, yeah, what's the real story? You know what the best thing is? Just to be able to tell them, look them straight in the eye and go, no, that is the real story. So you should always be telling the real story because if there's a public-private gap, that's a sign of a toxic culture. I'm going to share a few more. I got a lot more, but I'll just share a few more. Conflict happens it's never addressed. So conflict is normal. Pat Lencioni, who's been a multiple guest on this show, uh, talks about this. And you need conflict in your organization, but most people have the wrong conflict. And when people start to fight with each other, it just gets ignored or swept under the rug. And then sometimes there's disagreement in the meeting, but you won't have healthy conflict. So if your organization is stagnant and in conflict, there should be zero mystery as to why it isn't growing. Uh, Let me see. I'm going to share one more. Okay. How about this one? Everyone seems fine with good enough. Can that be sign of a toxic culture? Well, an unhealthy one and lower employee engagement because a lot of people don't wake up in the morning saying, you know what? I'm just going to do good enough. All right. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, Far too often in workplaces, people settle for good enough when it's really not good enough at all. Toxicity isn't just about the presence of bad things. It's about the absence of great things. And great things motivate great leaders. Now, if you want to attract and keep high-capacity leaders, I promise you they are repulsed by mediocrity. The best team members actually crave high levels of challenge and want things to be better, if not great. So those are just some signs of a toxic work culture. If you want more, I got a brand new course called Lead a Better Team. Maybe you don't need a new team. Maybe you just need a better one. And what if they are already working for you? I walk you through how to deepen employee engagement. I also walk you through how to get results-based leadership. So whether you lead a virtual team, a hybrid team, an in-person team, doesn't really matter. You can lead a better team. And we have introductory pricing in on that right now for a very limited time. Head on over to leadabetterteam.com and start leading a better team, well, today. Today. Hey, thanks so much for listening, everybody. So excited to be back next time with a fresh episode. And in the meantime, I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.